Yeah, thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning. You know, I haven't preached at two services since I was here two years ago. And I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed that early service. I thought you moved from Colorado. Aha. Aha, yeah. Well, it's good to be here with you. How many of you here have never heard me speak before? Huh. How many of you heard me speak and wish you hadn't have? <laughs> ah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, if you, if you look at me and think my face is a little lopsided, it is. Um, if you ever have a chance to be gone from home for two weeks and have the opportunity to develop a tooth problem on the first day of your being away, I would advise against it immensely. Don't do it, because I did, and it's not fun. But it does remind me of a story. There was a gentleman who was a professional speaker, a motivational speaker, corporate trainer. He was off to a gig one day and had to develop a tooth problem. So he had to run to his dentist. And the dentist popped him full of Novocaine and did the work. And he jumped up out of the chair and ran to the airport. Got there just in time to get on the plane, plopped down in the seat. And the guy next to him was kind of chatty. He said, well, what do you do for a living? And the guy said, well, a little bit of drool right here. I'm a professional speaker. What do you do? <laughs> So professionally speaking, <laughs> I'd like to share with you this morning two very deliberate, intentional things. One is I want to invite and encourage you and create the opportunity for you to take a look at, at how you understand your relationship to God. And I'm going to give you some examples to, to go by. The second thing I'd like to do, in addition to thinking about your relationship with God, to give you a little opportunity this morning to experience it, really experience it. Not just think about it like we unitics are prone to do, but to experience, to, to feel it, to make it real. Now, I call the, the, the lesson OMG. Now, when I was a kid growing up in the Baptist church, and by the way, I, somebody told me that the time was unlimited on this second service. You know, <laughs> Very good. When I was a kid, there were two things you did not do. You did not call anybody a fool because the Bible said if you do, you're in danger of hellfire. That's pretty serious stuff. The other thing is you didn't take the Lord's name in vain, which meant saying God in the same breath as another four-letter word. You just didn't do that. Other than that, you could you know, get away with stuff every once in a while. But those were important. And that has always stuck with me. And I've always thought many years along the way, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain, to take God's name in vain? And I realize that there's a whole lot more to that than just using it in that phrase, that seven-letter phrase that we're not supposed to use. There are a lot of different ways to take God's name in vain. And I have tried very diligently a lot not to do that in my own life. But in today's world where you see OMG everywhere, if you text, you've probably used it. And it gets used from one extreme to the other for something really good or something really bad. We had a great time, OMG. Did you see that horrible outfit she had on, OMG? So we use that, and to me, that's using the Lord's name in vain. If you don't mean it, then don't use it, don't say it. And a lot of these kids have no clue what OMG is. There's another story. A grandmother was given a smartphone by her granddaughter. And one day the granddaughter was going to check up on her and see how she was doing with texting. So she looked through her text and she found one that her grandmother had written to her best friend. She said, I am so sorry to hear about the, the passing of your beloved husband, LOL. And the granddaughter said, why did you put LOL? She said, well, I was just sending lots of love. 
So we use these things and don't even know it. So OMG has gotten to be so passe and so meaningless, and I'd like to bring back some of the meaning to that. So in looking at your relationship with the divine, let's begin with the immensity of God. Now, I'm going to use the word God this morning. I don't usually use God that much. I use spirit to, for me that represents all of what the divine is. But God just fit better this morning, so deal with it. Uh, in whatever way you need to, make the substitutions in your mind as I say the word. Don't get all offended and want to run away at all. Uh, it's okay. So as we begin looking at your relationship with God, let's start with the immensity of God. Now, the anthropologist and the sociologist and the archaeologists tell us that some of the earliest experiences as they can determine that humankind had was awe. And this awe of the immense brings us to a sense of separation. Because ancient humankind looked up at the stars, and as Carl Sagan would say, the billions and billions of stars out there, and they were in awe. They didn't understand it. They couldn't make sense of it. They saw the sun come up over here and go down over here. The moon come up over here, go down over here. The seasons changed. Animals mated. Babies were born. Put a seed in the ground, a plant grow. Amazing stuff. And from what we can tell from the artifacts left behind, they were truly in amazement over all of nature. And they made up all kinds of stories to explain what was going on because they could not comprehend the immensity of whatever this was in which they existed. So this immensity stirs in us a sense of awe that stirs in a sense of separation. And our response is, my God, my God. And even in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah in speaking words for God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than yours. So there is this ongoing sense deep within our human beingness of a respect and awe for the immensity of the deity, whatever that deity may be, and whatever name you hang on that deity. We had the opportunity, Bev and I, yesterday afternoon with a couple of friends, went through the, where are you? Oh, there you are. Went through the Rocky Mountain Park, spent about a half a day up there, and I spent most of the day with my mouth hanging open, groaning and moaning about what I was seeing there. It's amazing. Oh, my gosh. And you look out across this huge vista, and you look, and there's a hiker down there, little bitty tiny dot of red down there in the midst of all of this. And how can you not be amazed by that? And how can you not feel small in a very positive way in the middle of all of that? Matter of fact, we have songs that speak about that. There's a country song that says, I hope you never lose your sense of wonder. I hope you always feel small when you stand beside the ocean. That's, that's in us. It's a part of us. And we're always looking, we're longing for a connection with that which is bigger than we are, more than we are, because we don't really see our adequateness. We don't see our completeness, and we're looking for something to compare to. How big am I compared to that? So this is an ongoing thing within us. There was a song written in 1961, about 10 years later, recorded by Elvis Presley. Somebody bigger than you and I. Who made the mountains? Who made the trees? And I lost it again, kind of. <laughs> I had the lyrics there. Um, who sent the rain when the earth is dry? Somebody bigger than you and I. So it's in us. 
that looking for something else. In our theology, Rudolf Otto, an Austrian theologian, talked about the holy other, this other being that was holy and separate from us, different from us, and he coined the term mysterium tremendum et fascinans, which means the, the mystery of terror and fascination, talking about the divine. There's something about looking into that abyss that is a divine that is terrifying for the human being. So there, there is that ongoing relationship with the divine. Uh, in the case of eminence, that awe that leads to a sense of separation. And in that separation, we say, my God, my God. Now, it doesn't end there. Because there's another possibility for your relationship with God. And that is intimacy. Now, you've all heard of Maslow, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we've based a lot of years of psychology and a lot of therapists have based their whole practice on this idea. And the, the, the social scientist folks now are telling us it's all wrong. Maslow got it all wrong. Because we're finding now with further study and more better study that human beings are willing to forego food and water and sex and shelter in order to have a sense of being, a sense of meaning, a sense of belonging, a sense of community, a sense of connection. That is the most important thing to human beings. When you get everything else out of the way, what is in us and there, this desire to be connected with something. And if you think about that and think about a lot of the problems we have in our culture, look at addiction. The heart of addiction is needing and desiring to be connected with something, having something to hold on to. And we unfortunately choose to hang on to things that aren't really good for us. We hang on to people that way. We hang on to organizations that way. We hang on to beliefs that way. We hang on to substances that way. But that desire to belong, to be a part of something, to be connected is so very strong in us. So that need for intimacy is an awe that invites us into connection. And we say, my God, my friend. Now, Jesus is my primary focus for a spiritual teacher. There are many other good spiritual teachers, and I'll speak more about that in a moment. But Jesus talked about this matter of connection. The Scripture says that the Word, the Logos, the divine Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus said, here's God. Here I am. What you see me doing is what God is doing. What you see me wanting is what God wants. What you see me speaking is what God is speaking. And we had the opportunity to connect with that immensity through another human being right here, right now. There's a wonderful story told about a little girl. She was being put to bed one night by her father. And she said, Daddy, I'm scared. Can you leave the light on? He said, Honey, it's okay. You'll be all right. God is right here with you. And she reached up and put her hand on his face and she said, yes, but I like God better with skin on. (laughs) And don't we all? Don't we all like God better with skin on? Don't we all like that connection, that meaningfulness that we have in our relationship with God? Yes, it is there. It's important for us. 
And it is important that we have a friend there, not just the immense, huge, out there God, the, the immutable God, the all-meaning all God, all-being God, but that friend with which we can make a connection. One of the first things that really got my attention about unity when I was in the Baptist church and always looking around asking questions and I discovered unity was unity's referral to Jesus as the way shower. I liked that. I didn't really feel like I needed Jesus to save me from anything, but I sure would like to have somebody show me the way. If you're going somewhere you've never been before, isn't it nice to have some signs on the side of the road that says 40 miles to Denver? If you don't know where Denver is in the first place, yeah. So it's nice to have somebody going before you showing you the way. And Jesus did that for us. So friendship is a really important part to us. Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So I did, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that wherever, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. There is that connection. There is that sense of belonging. There is that sense of meaning, that sense of purpose that we can find in our world. And we can say, my God, my friend, and have that connection. So let me ask you to do something with me now. If you're comfortable, to close your eyes. And for just a moment, imagine an experience of connection, of belonging, of friendship. Imagine the situation in which you felt connected with someone else, another human being, or in some way connected with God, connected with a friend, a sense of belonging, a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose. And allow yourself to feel that. Allow yourself to feel it. Let it be yours. Don't be afraid of it. And in the midst of that feeling, whisper to yourself, My God, my friend. My God, my friend. My God, my friend. And take a deep breath, let it out slowly, and bring yourself back to right here now. My God, my friend. There's a third perspective that we can hold regarding our relationship to God, and that is the matter of integration. The awe that comes from integration is the awe that unites and brings us together in a whole. And our response is, my God, myself. If you've read any of um, Charles Fillmore's friends, Emerson, who's the other guy we talk about all the time? Emerson, his friend, Thoreau, yes, those two guys. Emerson and Thoreau talked about transcendentalism. Talked about this relationship with the divine that was beyond this right here. Charles Fillmore, Ernest Holmes, all of those folks of that time were, were really on top of this. New stuff, cutting edge stuff. You know, I, I'm, I'm so excited. Let me put a little, little plug in here. I am so excited about where unity is and is going right now.
For years, I was worried about us because when Charles and Myrtle came along, we were on the cutting edge. And I think for a number of years now, we haven't even been on the dull edge. I think we've been sitting around patting ourselves on the back thinking how good we are and how metaphysical we are and how much spiritual knowledge we have. And everybody's taking our stuff and running off and leaving us. But I think now we're waking up. Some things are happening. You're going to be hearing about in unity that I am so thrilled about. We just came from the week-long conference in our international conference in Kansas City last week, and I'm excited about what's going on. So this idea of, of incorporating, integrating, the idea of oneness. Now, we need to understand that oneness has been around for a long time. We did not invent that, and it didn't happen last week. For thousands of years, those who were really into awareness and awakeness knew about oneness and talked about oneness. And we're, we're picking up on it and beginning to really learn about that now. But when we say, my God, myself, we begin to realize that there are truly no boundaries The only boundaries we have are in our own mind. The only restrictions we have are in our own mind. The only limitations we have are in our own mind. One of the things about Jesus that we celebrate is the scriptures tell us that Jesus was without sin. He was in all points tempted as we are, but without sin. You know why Jesus didn't sin? He didn't believe in it. Somebody might say that when Jesus, you know, went in and and kicked the, the stuffing out of the out of the money changers in the temple, that that was sinful because he was angry. He might even cussed a little bit when that was going on. Oh, that was sinful. Well, I don't think so because Jesus didn't see it that way. You can't do something if you don't believe in it. So what if all of us stop believing in sin? I had a dear soul, bless her heart to this day, in the Baptist church who came in for counseling and told me she sinned every breath she took. Broke my heart, this poor lady having to go through life like that. And I, I wish I could have told her then what I know now. I said, honey, there is no sin. Get over it. Let it go. Much like Martin Luther in his days, of beginnings of his struggles, Martin Luther went into his confessor over and over confessing all these sins. And finally his confessor said, Martin, please go and do something worthy of confession. <laughs> but Jesus didn't sin because he didn't believe in sin. And if we stop believing in the limitations that keep us from saying, my God, myself, what's going to happen? We're going to become who we really are. Now, about a year ago, I took the chance of saying publicly what I've been thinking for some time. You know, it was like that when I was here, too, that there are things you teach in classes that you don't dare mention up here on Sunday morning. I don't really do that anymore and haven't gotten in trouble yet, except with my wife. Um, <laughs> I firmly believe, well, there was a time when I said, I am God expressing. That's a pretty good sentiment, right? That's better than what we usually think. And then I got, to, I got to really thinking about it. And I said, this feels like I'm perpetuating the same duality I'm trying to do away with. I am God expressing, then God's over here, and I'm expressed over there somewhere. So I said, all right, I am God, ex-, no, I'm not an expression of God. I am God expressing, which puts me and God in the same place. That's better. But that became unsatisfactory after a while, and I've begun to say now, I am God, I am God being Lawrence, and you are God being you. And our job is to provide experience for God. Our job is to provide experience for the Creator because the Creator is constantly evolving. When this service is over, 
the being of God will be enriched more so than it was about an hour ago because of the experience. The gathering of this group has never been before. This unique gathering of consciousness is brand new, and God has never tasted this before, but has now. So the being of God is enriched by what's going on inside your mind right now. Whether you're agreeing with me or not, it's still experience. I did a whole sermon around this recently. And one of the points was you can't fail. Any of you ever worried about failing? Any of you ever, ever failed? Come on now. All right. Yeah. Who said you failed? You did. Somebody else may have told you that, but it didn't happen unless you agreed with it. What if I do not believe in failure and you say you failed? I'm going to look at you with a blank look on my face like you're speaking a language I don't understand. If I don't believe in failure, it can't happen. And I don't believe in failure anymore because even if I do something and don't reach my goal, I have provided that experience for the creator of not reaching my goal. And the, the being of the creator has been enriched by that experience of not reaching my goal. So I've been a success. Isn't that a better way to live? I really do think so. My God, myself. So we come to that place of seeing no separation between us and God. And this life becomes something very different then. If that's the truth of my being, that I am God, being Lawrence, then all of my experiences are part of the evolution of God. So when I have a terrible, trying, difficult, painful experience, okay, I just had a terrible, difficult, trying, painful experience. And that's it. I had it. God had it too. Now let's get on to business. But we tend to hang on. Oh, I had this terrible experience. We attended a, a workshop a while back. I won't tell you who was teaching it. I guess I could though, couldn't I? You ever heard of Michael Singer? The Untethered Soul? We were in a workshop with him. And this lady raised her hand when, during question time. She said, I don't remember what all her problem was. Oh, she had trouble being born. And her mother didn't treat her well. And this whole litany, she was getting wound up. And, and he interrupted her and he said, how long ago was that? How old are you? She said, 52 years. And, and you know, just the question did it. The whole place felt silent. Fell silent. They knew exactly what he was saying. You know, Get over it. You're walking around with this baggage from 52 years ago. Why? That's not who you are. That's not what you are. And when this life becomes something that we live every day passionately, fully, knowing I cannot fail. I can have all kinds of experiences. I'd rather have all pretty experiences. I'd rather everybody think I am the, 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 the most wonderful things in sliced bread. But if they don't, they don't. That's okay. I have preferences. I don't have needs. So if we go through every day knowing that, wouldn't life not be different? Oh, my God, myself. There's only one of us here. We all have the opportunity to experience it together. Isn't that cool? Don't think about it at night when you're supposed to be going to sleep. <laughs> Doesn't work. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't have at least one quote from Papa Charlie. For those of you who don't know, that's Charles Fillmore, the co-founder of Unity, along with his wife, Myrtle. I had the privilege of getting to know his granddaughter, uh, Rosemary Fillmore Ray, 
who was an absolute sweetheart, loved her to death. And she told me all kinds of stories about how she and Papa Charlie would, uh, after he retired, they'd go and go to movies and have a wonderful time. So I picked up from her calling Charles Fillmore Papa Charlie, and it's a term of great respect and, and great affection for him and the work that he did. But Papa Charlie said this, We cannot separate Jesus Christ from God or tell where man leaves off and God begins in him. To say that we are men as Jesus Christ was a man is not exactly true because he had dropped that personal consciousness by which we separate ourselves from our true God self. He became consciously one with the absolute principle of being. He proved in his resurrection and ascension that he had no consciousness separate from that of being with a capital B. Therefore, he really was this being to all intents and purposes. Now, that's not all. Yet he attained no more than what is expected of every one of us. That they may be one even as we are was his prayer. This is all accomplished through the externalization of the superconsciousness, which is omnipresent and ever ready to manifest itself through us as it did through Jesus. Let Christ be formed in you. My God, myself. I had an experience many years ago when I was a Baptist one of the most significant transformative experiences of my whole life. It was in the early springtime, and I'd gotten in the habit of taking the Sunday paper before church, going out sitting in a lawn chair in my front yard under this big maple tree and reading the paper, and especially the comic strips. Now, if you have an open mind and heart, there's a lot of metaphysics and a lot of spirituality in the comic strips, if you, if you have eyes to see, all right? So I always ended with that. Well, I was in the middle of the comic strip, and there was a big open field, 10-acre field out beside my house, and it was broom straw about three feet high growing, and some of you know what broom straw is. The wind was blowing just barely, and it was going like this. And about a foot above that, there was a, a mist and it, was, it looked like a sheet up over the broom straw. And it was in a dance with the broom straw doing this. And I looked over there. The sun was coming up right over there. And chills every time I tell this story. And Lawrence disappeared. I, and I, I'm a Baptist now, okay? I haven't gotten into unity yet. I was gone. I was gone. I was the sunshine. I was the mist. I was the broom straw, I was the breeze, I was, I was it all and nothing. Didn't know what in the world was going on. And when that was over, if you told me I'd been sitting there for five hours, I would not have disagreed with you. And if you told me it was 30 seconds, I couldn't have disagreed either because I had no sense of time, no sense of any of this stuff. It was all that. And that has stuck with me all these years. And had I had the vocabulary then that I have now, I would have whispered, my God, myself. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? And bring back to memory a time that you were closest to that kind of experience. The closest that you have been to being God, being creator, being one, being whole whatever experience it is, in whatever context it may have happened. It may have been in nature. 
He may have been hearing a glorious piece of music, Handel's Messiah. It may have been in the midst of a loving act toward another person. Whenever it was that you felt so connected, so one with everything, and feel that. Don't be afraid. Feel it. Find it in your body and honor it and bless it. Feel it. And whisper within yourself, my God, myself. My God, myself. My God, myself. And now take a deep breath and bring yourself back to here and open your eyes. When scientists first started studying the human mind, they discovered brain waves that they could measure that happened inside of our brain. The first set of brain waves that they discovered and identified and documented were the brain waves that happened during a time of meditation, a time of profound stillness. So they labeled that alpha waves. Well, later they discovered what they call beta waves, which was everyday ordinary consciousness. And as far as brainwave activity, the beta waves were faster than were the alpha waves, which is kind of contraindicated there, but that's the way it happened. So basically, and this is a gross oversimplification of the whole situation, but to illustrate it, we have beta waves, which are ordinary everyday activity, alpha waves, which are meditation type experiences. There's delta waves, which is deep or ordinary sleep where you have a lot of REM activity and that sort of thing. And then theta waves, which is deep sleep where everything's pretty much gone. Well, when they first started discovering these things, they thought they were really smart. They said, you can only hold one of these brainwave levels at a time. So if you're in beta, you can't be alpha or theta or delta. Well, the more study they put into it, they discovered that, yes, indeed, you can hold more than one brainwave activity at a time. Now, that's an interesting tidbit to know, but there's a reason I mention that to you. Because you might think that you could hold only one of these positions about your relationship with God at a time. You might think that you could only say, my God, my God, and the rest of them go away. Or my God, my friend, and neither of the others applied. Or my God, myself, and you're above it all now. now this is another one of my pet peeves. We unity folks can be really arrogant and it ticks me off, and I bother other people when I'm ticked off, about saying things that are derogatory about people who don't believe like unity does, especially fundamental people or traditional Christian people. Because we're over here, my God, myself, hmm, I'm very advanced here, and I know all this stuff, and I'm one, and everybody else is down here somewhere because they're still piddling around in the duality and everything else. <laughs> don't ever do that in my presence. It'll be ugly. Because just as with the brain waves, we can hold those different perspectives at the same time, and it's good. Now, I consider myself fairly evolved. I've been down, down a little further down the road than I was a few years ago, and that's cool. But you know what? There are times when I reach the limits of my consciousness in my elevated state, and I bump up against the wall, and you know what I do sometimes? I hit my knees, and I say, oh, God, help me. 
Now, in the back of my mind, I know that there's not a God out there somewhere with a long white beard who's waiting to dole out some kind of blessing on me. I know that. But in my humanness, what I need to do right then is for that moment to immerse myself in that belief that there's something bigger than me that I could draw on. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine. Don't stay there. But to visit there is perfectly fine. And for me to get to the place in my spiritual consciousness where I, I really don't understand any more than where I am right here, there's nothing wrong to going back to my God, my friend, and studying the teachings of Jesus or some other spiritual master and learning from them because I don't know it all yet. So going back and sitting with those teachers once again, either in meditation or through books or whatever, that's perfectly fine. You don't need to stay there, but you can visit there. And there are people who find a completely fulfilling spiritual life saying all the time, my God, my God. God is the master and I'm the servant. God's a teacher, I'm the student. God's big and I'm little. And they're perfectly happy with that. Leave them alone and bless them. When I was a Baptist minister, I knew some people who were the salt of the earth. They'd give you the shirt off their back. And they believe with all their heart that Jesus Christ died for their sins and they trust Jesus and they're going to heaven. Leave them alone and bless them because they're happy. Okay? So as we go along in our journey, regardless of where you find yourself, just realize, my God, my God is open to you. And be aware that my God, my friend, is open to you. And my God, myself, is open to you. That's your spiritual heritage. That is your spiritual destiny. And it is yours. Don't let anybody take it away from you. Don't let anybody stand in the way. Any limitations are yours. You will have what you believe in. You believe in sin? Guess what you got? You believe in limitation? Guess what you have then? You believe in truth and peace and power and love and unlimited potential of your human beingness, guess what you're going to have? A lot of smiles, a lot of power, a lot of knowing. Oh, my God. God bless you.